0: You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Thanks for being here today. It's great that you came out. I tell you what, uh, I was telling people this morning that um, that uh, it, it is a terrible thing to be a pastor on a Saturday night when there is a storm pre- being predicted because you are you don't sleep at all. You wake up, look out the window, check the weather app, all of that stuff. And yet at the same time, you're like, Maybe, maybe a storm will come and and we get a Sunday off. I know we're not supposed to say that as pastors, but sometimes we think it. Just like you do. And just like the people watching at home on TV. <laughs> uh, hey, um, before we get rolling, let me just share one announcement. Uh, if if you aren't interested and you're free tomorrow evening, we're having um, kind of a, a cleaning and an organizational time down at our uh, our facility that we have down in the south end of town, we call it For the City because the disciple of Jesus Christ is for their city. So we purchased uh, that um, a couple of years ago and uh, it's the home to Missio Church, it's the home to our White Cross ministry, it's a home to other organizations, nonprofits that we partner with that want to use warehouse space and office space and uh, there's a lot of great things that are going on down there. The best news is that we recently totally completed our renovation of that building. And, um, and so tomorrow night we're going to, yeah, yeah, trust me, yes. I have, I have clapped and screamed a lot louder than that in the last few months. Um, but uh, one of the things that we need to do now is, the other good news I should say is we shipped out uh, our third shipping container to Cameroon um, on just this past week. And that was, so many people have put in so much work rolling bandages, sewing, collecting, organizing, uh, and and a lot of work goes into getting those 40-foot containers off to uh, our hospitals and clinics and missionaries in Africa. Such a great thing that we get to be a part of. It just does my heart uh, so good to to just watch that container go away. But the cool thing about it is now the warehouse is somewhat relatively empty. And for the last year and a half, that warehouse has doubled as really a construction site. So it's a little bit dusty, it's a little bit dirty, needs some organization, and so we're having a a night tomorrow night from 5 o'clock on until uh, whenever you decide to go home to just kind of get shelves organized and cleaned up and just ready for our next uh, White Cross shipment as well as for other organizations that want to partner with us. And so if you're interested in that, you can come down, but please just call uh, the church and talk to Robin and and let her know that you're coming. Uh, Food's going to be served, so we need to prepare for that. Um, and, uh, and, and we're going to just see what God continues to do. The thing about that building is that, um, as I was heavily involved in what was going on as, as we walk around there, now that it's completed, I can look at things that most people would just see, Hey, well, that's carpet. But, but there are some of those rooms that that carpet is only there because God just moved in somebody's heart on the other side of the country. To call her dad and go, I got all this extra carpet, I don't know what to do with it. And go, well, we need it in our building. Well, we've got so many of those types of stories. Even the renovation of itself was completely funded by a, a gift that, that was given to us. And, and so there's so much to celebrate in that building. And we're going to have an open house. Eventually, sooner or later, we need, just need the snow to go away. So like in like six years, it feels like we'll do that. Um, But to have people walk through, but even if you wanted to come down tomorrow and just kind of take a look around, uh, because that entire building tells so many stories of God's incredible goodness and what he's been up to. Today I want to talk about story. Last week, uh, Paul Ewing, our missionary from Japan, started us off in Matthew chapter 13 in talking about the parable of the sower. We, as we move through Matthew chapter 13, are actually going to look at six more parables that Jesus uses to talk about the kingdom of God. These short stories that he uses to, to inform his disciples, his followers, about what the kingdom of God is like. And I'm excited about it. I, first of all, I love just uh, talking about Jesus. Preaching through the Gospels is my favorite thing. Um, but I love getting into this section about parables because, as you know... I just love stories, and that's exactly what parables are. Parables are just really short narratives that drive a point home. Dale Carnegie says the great truths of the world are often couched in fascinating stories. That's what I see Jesus do, to teach a great truth, to to make it uh, understandable for those that he wants to understand it. He, He tells it in the form of a story. It's often been said that a parable is is uh, an earthly situation, but it has a heavenly meaning. That's how we should read them. That's how we should look at it and ask, what does Jesus want us to know? What's the one truth that he wants us to know uh, about who he is, who the Father is, about the kingdom? What are we supposed to, to take out of these stories that have such great intent? The aim, ultimately, of a parable is to awaken insight in God's people, to stimulate our conscience, to move us to action. It's not just a really cute story, but we're supposed to ask the question, so what? What am I supposed to know about this? And the way that Jesus used them was to motivate people to stop and think about their lives and to bring about change, to reevaluate how they've been viewing God or the world, or the kingdom of heaven, and to reorient their understanding of, of what it is that they know. So when when taking a look at chapter 13 in preparation for, for just preaching through, uh, continuing through Matthew, um, you might have wondered, if you were here last week, of why Paul skipped over a section and and there's purpose and meaning behind that. I wanted a missionary, one, to talk about the parable of the sower and the scattering of seed, that it's our responsibility to take the gospel out and to share Jesus wherever we go. It's not our job to evaluate if somebody's going to receive it or not, or, or whether or not they're a horrible person or a great person. It's not our job. Our job is to scatter seed. We leave all of the rest of it up to the power of God, his wisdom, his sovereignty, his desire. But in the middle of the parable of the sower and Jesus explaining the parable of the sower, there's this small section we're going to take a look at today where the disciples ask Jesus, hey, why are you you speaking in stories? Why are you speaking in, in parables? They were confused by it. And ultimately, he will share with them that he's got, there's two reasons. One, so that believers can understand greater about the kingdom of heaven, and that non-believers, those that not, not those that haven't yet to, to hear, but those that have rejected Jesus, he says, I'm telling it in stories so that they won't know. Hard for us to grasp that, to understand, to swallow it and believe it, but Jesus says, uh, I'm telling it in stories so that it can be really basic for those that, that follow me and, and hail me as king. But for those who, have, who reject me, the stories are just going to be confusion. And that's God's plan and His purpose behind it. So I want to take a look at this conversation that takes place between Jesus and the disciples. And it, it all comes down to Jesus answering them to say, look, it's, it's all about the heart. It's about where the seed falls. What kind of heart is it falling uh, onto one of the most famous Old Testament parables that we, that we know of uh, was spoken by a prophet. His name was Nathan. And it's a really kind of a popular uh, story that we find in the Old Testament in regards to King David. Uh, King David had everything at his disposal. God was using him to do great things. David one night is up on his rooftop and he looks out and he sees a woman uh, who's married to another man. And he says, I, I, I want her. And so um, David uh, then has this affair with Bathsheba, and she becomes pregnant, and David then has to try to cover his tracks, so he has her husband killed. Nathan the prophet comes to David and says, hey, I got a story to tell you. He says there was a a really wealthy man who had a lot of sheep, and uh, one night he was having a guest over for dinner. But he was so selfish, he didn't want to use any of his own sheep for dinner. And and notice that there was a guy in town that had only one sheep. It was a poor farmer. Uh, And this farmer, Nathan says, loved this sheep. Treated it like a a member of the family. It was like a family pet and he adored it. And it meant everything to him. But this uh, selfish, wealthy man went and took that poor man's one and only sheep and slaughtered it and served it to a guest for for dinner and David King David loses his mind how dare he this man has to die for what he's done and what does Nathan say he says David you are that man David didn't understand the meaning of the story because his heart had become so dark and had become so hard Jesus' response to the disciples as to why, why do you speak in parables? Jesus is ultimately, he says, I speak in parables so that those that have a pure heart would understand even greater things that I have for them, but that those that have dark hearts would not understand at all. But this is how he explains it uh, to his disciples. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 10 uh, through uh, 17 today. Let's stand as I read this to you. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Why do you speak in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. To which the disciples are like, uh, I need you to explain that a little bit easier, Jesus, because I don't think you answered my question. Uh, th- that's not what they said, but that's my attempt at me not understanding what he's saying. Uh, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled that says you will indeed hear but not understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Let's pray. Father, we've got a few minutes to unpack a a, a powerful text that you've given to us through your Holy Spirit for our spiritual growth. And so today, we just lay ourselves before you and we ask that. May my words be your words. May they be clear, the things that we hear today, to understand your word more, fall more in love with you, and follow you, Jesus, as our King. In your name, amen. You can have a seat. So just to understand this, again, looking at everything in context, uh, up until now, Jesus has been preaching pretty clearly to people. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, right? Greatest message ever preached was, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And every time that Jesus would teach a truth of what the original text meant, he would aggravate the Pharisees a little bit more. He preached powerful messages about who he was and what God was up to in the world and they they did not receive well what he had to say. Jesus performed miracles, incredible signs, and spoke truthfully about who he was and they still accused him of being under the power of Satan. There was nothing that Jesus was going to do that was going to get those that rejected him to accept him. They had turned their backs on Him. They turned their backs on God. They were not going to receive it. And that's why Jesus says, As I speak in parables. For those that believe in me would, would know even more about what I'm up to in the world. But for those that have rejected me, they will continue to be rejected. Klein Snodgrass. Greatest name of any theologian ever. Klein Snodgrass. He, when, when his parents named him they were like, look this guy has one destiny that's it uh, and and he says about uh, the parables he says um, that that Jesus parables were both art and weapons, beauty to those that got it but they were shields of, of opposition against those that rejected Christ so, uh, in the next few minutes, I just want to unpack what that means. But I want to start, first of all, just by talking about the power of story. We all know that, that story moves us. It changes us. You, at home, have how many televisions in your house, with how many apps of subscriptions, movie channels, and all of that, so that you can sit and just disengage from the world and just watch some really great storytelling. Because we're 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 moved. We are a people who are moved by story. From our really young age that we're at, some of the greatest truths that we begin to learn as children are told to us in story format, right? Our parents, my, my kids would always like, Dad, read us a story before you go to bed. Don't tell us one of your stories. Oh, we, we need to sleep tonight. But but read us a book, and so. To teach our kids about about just uh, strength and persistence, we read them the Little Engine That Could, right? To teach them uh, uh, about being humble and, and and patient, we read them the Tortoise and the Hare. To teach them every other lesson in the world, we read them the Berenstain Bears, right? It just we we love uh, to hear stories because they capture our attention, they entertain. And they motivate. One of the books that I read while I was on my sabbatical was called Hero on a Mission. It was more of a leadership book. But there's a lot of great biblical truth that comes out of it. And, and in it, uh, he's, he's talking about uh, what's the story that you want to tell with your life? Because your story and knowing your story and and writing that story out for how you want to live is going to be one of the most powerful motivators for where you end up. And so he says, so here's what you do. He, He said, write out your own obituary. Write out that story that you want people to tell at the end of your life. And then every morning when you wake up, you pull that out and you read it. Because that will give you your focus about how you're going to live and prioritize and treat people that day. You want to live into a really great story. Because he says, because in it, he said, we all know that story matters to us. We are gripped by a good story. And every good story has four main characters that are involved in it one, there's always a victim, right? And then, and then there's always a villain. And then there's always the hero, and there's always a guide. And, and so he goes through and says, so at the end of your life, who do you want to be? Most people want to say, I want to be the hero. And he says, no, no, no. In, in God's design for us, as he calls us to be people who make disciples, who make disciples, our ultimate goal is that we should always desire to be the guide. We should always desire to, to make heroes, to speak into people's lives. For people to do greater things than we do. It's my my hope, my plan, my prayer for my kids. I pray they do greater things than I would ever be able to dream of. But they need a guide. Right? Because without, without guides, you don't have heroes. You don't have Rocky if you don't have Mick. Right? You don't have Spider-Man if you don't have Iron Man. Right? They, they, you need a Tony Stark in order to speak those truths into their lives. Without Yoda, there's no Luke Skywalker. Every good story has a guide. But the greatest tool that's at your disposal, outside of the Word of God, is your own personal story. The story that you are telling, the impact that you can have on the lives of people and How are you using it? There have been endless studies, which I found really fascinating uh, when it comes to the telling of stories and the listening to stories and what it does in our brains. Um, There's a study that was done at Princeton a a number of years ago uh, where they took 13 people uh, as listeners and one as a storyteller. They hooked them all up to some type of MRI uh, to to scan people's brain activity during the the sharing of stories and telling their stories, and and they said the most unbelievable thing happened when when the speaker was talking about uh, uh, a moment of pain in their life, really deep emotional pain. That part of their brain that lit up while they were telling that story. Uh, all 13 people listening that part of their brain lit up as well it was it was called a brain to brain coupling and they said that it happened the entire time throughout uh, all of the storytelling that took place no matter who was telling the story everybody's brain waves got in sync with each other our brains are actually most active when we are listening to a good story being told. Narrative has been uh, proven to be the most powerful way to connect with somebody else and to break down resistance. And Jesus told a lot of stories that connected with people, that changed their lives. He didn't typically explain his parables. And there's reason for that. We'll continue to get into that as we walk through the book of Matthew. But it was also fairly cultural. Telling a story was, that was just what you did as a good teacher, as a good rabbi. And you would usually end and you would leave people to to kind of walk out with with no application at all. They They would leave listening to your story and processing so so I wonder who I'm supposed to be because of that. I wonder what it is that I'm supposed to know about who God is because of that. It was meant to kind of go with you uh, and that you would teach yourself kind of the application. The question that the disciples had was we don't understand why you're speaking in parables at all. Why not just make it really clear to everybody because they don't seem to be... Getting it. Jesus' answer really shows a privilege that his followers receive. He begins by, first of all, talking about how by speaking in parables, it's really a shield against the opposition. I speak in parables so that they don't have the privilege of knowing who I am. That they don't understand. Mark, in his gospel, in chapter 4, verse 11, Jesus said, for those that are outside, in other words, outside of a relationship with me, everything is told to them in parables so that they see but don't perceive, hear but don't understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Same thing that he said here in our text. In other words, Jesus says, I'm speaking in parables to keep them From knowing certain things. To understand why Jesus would do such a thing, we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament as Isaiah chapter 6. That's who Jesus is quoting uh, halfway through our text here in verses 14 and 15. But if you were to go back to the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets of all time, speaking on behalf of God, to his people Isaiah 6 begins with that famous passage where Isaiah has a vision of God in the temple and he's there in the middle of it and he, the glory of God is all around him and God's the the train of his robe fills the entire temple and there are angels all around and the place is just filling up with smoke and Isaiah understands his own sinfulness and he falls down and he just cries out to God about how unworthy he is Uh, and the background are all the angels singing, holy, 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 is the Lord God uh, Almighty. And Isaiah there in his humility hears from God, and God says, I want you to go, and I want you you to, to speak to my people. I have a message for them. And Isaiah says those famous words. He says, here am I, Lord. Send me. I'll go, and I'll tell them whatever it is you want me to tell them. And And God says, I want you to go and and say to my people who have rejected me, who have continually disobeyed me, who don't acknowledge me as the one true God, I want you to tell them that they are never going to hear the truth. They're never going to understand. They're going to hear a lot of words. They're going to hear what the word says. But because of their rejection of me, I've rejected them and they're not going to have the opportunity to know who I am, be in a relationship with with me to which isaiah is like i'd like to rethink you know my job description here but god says i want you to tell them what jesus says here you will indeed hear but you will never understand you will see but you will never perceive because your hearts have grown dull your ears can barely hear your eyes are shut lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But God is basically saying, but I won't. Because they won't. They've rejected me. It's interesting, in John chapter 12, uh, John also mentions this Isaiah passage um, and, and Jesus' fulfillment of it, but it's in a different context. It Takes place after the triumphal entry, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and the people uh, are, are hailing him as king. But Jesus later on goes and weeps over the city because he goes. He says, "You don't, you don't really believe that. You, you might. You think that I'm. You think that I'm going to be a physical king here on earth, but you don't see me as the Messiah. You don't see me as the spiritual king over this entire universe." And Jesus weeps. Over the city. And in John chapter 12, John says Jesus went and he hid himself he, from everybody in the city. He went into hiding and he wept because even though he had done so much in front of them, even though he had taught so well and, and performed so many miraculous signs, they still refused to believe in who he was. And John says, and in it they fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy that they would never understand. That they would never hear, that they would never listen to who he was. And Jesus says, He says, Who has believed and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? But God has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts because they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And then Jesus says, He says, I'm not, I didn't come. My role in coming was not to be the judge. That's not my job, Jesus says. That's left up to the Father. But anyone who hears my words and rejects them, they will be condemned. Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus' words that he spoke, anybody who rejects what I have to say and who I am as Messiah, will, they will face consequences. And then to fully understand this, that's why I love the fact that to understand the truths of Scripture, we go to all of Scripture. We go to Romans chapter 1. Verse 18 talks about God's judgment. And it says God's wrath is reserved for the unrighteous and the ungodly. And the unrighteous, it says, are those who refuse to believe the truth. They suppress it. Because God's revealed everything that He needs to reveal about Himself and His desires to all people. And Paul says in Romans, although they claim to know God, although they claim that they understand it all, they didn't honor Him with their hearts. And those hearts have become hardened. Paul says they exchanged the glory of God for the glory of the earth. And then it says, so God gave them over to their sinful passions. God gave them over to a debased mind. God gave them over to what they wanted in the first place. They wanted to be the rulers of their own lives. And that's the great thing that we find as as hard and difficult as it is to accept. God, in His great love, allows people who want to reject Him to reject Him. If you want to walk away, Then walk away, but don't think that you're going to receive any of my blessings in your life. The judgment is not just reserved for the final day when Christ returns, but but you have to face the wrath of God, just a small taste of it here on earth, by saying if you're going to reject Jesus as the King, as the Savior, then, then God will turn His face from you. You, you, you aren't going to have the ability to understand the truths of Scripture. He gave them over to a debased mind that resulted in lives of chaos and sin. Had they repented, God would save. But they're so determined to reject Him. Nothing was going to be said or done that was going to cause anybody to repent. And God says, so you're actually incapable of grasping the truth. So taking it back to our text today, Jesus says to the disciples that I've already basically, I've done enough. I've done everything that I possibly could. I've taught on who I am. I've taught the truths of Scripture. I've performed miracle after miracle after miracle, and they still attribute everything that I do to Satan. And so so they're not my people. I'm letting them go. And, and for me, to continue to just to speak these messages to them in a way that they could understand, they're not going to understand anyway. So in a way, Jesus is actually protecting them from even greater judgment of God by just saying, I'm just going to speak in a way that they're not going to understand at all because they refuse to acknowledge who I am. They rejected me as king. Because an acknowledgement of the truth will always result in changed life. A change in action. To understand the parables meant that I understand that a truth is revealed for my life. To not understand meant that the truth was concealed. And that was the purpose of Jesus' parables. To reveal to some and to conceal to others. To reveal to those that acknowledge Him as Savior and Lord and to conceal to those who have actually rejected Him. It's in the non-understanding that that those who rejected God should acknowledge their darkness and cry out in repentance. But Jesus is saying they've chosen their blindness and, and they're receiving their punishment. They're never going to know. He's a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy People thought they were talking about the the nation of of Israel. They're going to face God's wrath because they have rejected Him and they continually disobey. Jesus comes along centuries later and says, this is actually the fulfillment of it. The nation continues to reject me. And God's plan then for them, in His sovereign plan that I will admit I don't fully understand and makes me honestly uneasy. Because we like to think that God is just a God of nothing but love. Yes, He desires that none should perish. But our God is so great and He is so holy and He is so demanding of perfection that He says, if you reject me, I will reject you and you will face my wrath and you will face my punishment, because God does everything 100%. He loves 100%, and He punishes 100%. And we, as His followers, say, thanks be to God, that He does everything to the fullest. I know it's not something that we all want to talk about or acknowledge, but we have to in order to fully understand God. This passage is another truth that That God not only has a blessing, incredible blessings for those that he's called to himself, but he also has judgment for those that he has rejected. As much as God's grace and mercy flows out of the heart of those that he calls his own, his judgment and punishment flows from that same heart to the lives that he doesn't call. But what we need to understand is that the point of what Jesus is telling the disciples was not to focus on the the unbelievers, the ones that reject Him. Jesus is saying to the disciples, this whole thing is, but you understand, and so understand that you are blessed, that I'm going to do great things through you. Why do I speak in parables? I do it, guys, so that, so that you could know more about the kingdom of heaven and all that I want to do in your life. So Jesus speaking in parables is not just a shield against the opposition, but I said it's also a showpiece for the esthete. An esthete is the one who is appreciates art, can look at a piece of art, paint splashes on a canvas and go, wow. I would pay big money for that. Because they get it. They see what it is that the artist has painted and they see past just what the paint on a canvas, but they see intention and they see the heart. And they appreciate not just the art, but the artist. Jesus says, because of your belief in me, guys. Think about this. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, The scribes considered to be or looked up to by people as the smartest people of the day are blinded from being able to see the truth. Even in the the smallest of powerful stories, so basic. A wise man built his house upon uh, uh, the rock. Foolish man, house upon the sand. A group of ragamuffins, right? Probably half of them, maybe teenagers at the time, Fishermen, tax collectors, thieves, never went to school. They're getting the opportunity to truly understand the greater things of God and of heaven and the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus is revealing it to them over those that thought they had it all figured out. Jesus says, "Because of it's all because of your belief in me. It's all because you acknowledge me as Savior and Lord, Messiah and King, and you've chosen to follow me, that I will now give you more than you could ever imagine. And I'll give you an abundance of understanding. Why? Because Jesus was working in their lives to further his mission of taking the gospel to the world for all of eternity. This small little group of unknowns Who question themselves and we read their lives and we still question them when we read it in scripture. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you everything that you need to know to take this message out into the world because you believe in me. And he says, So many people for centuries, the ancients, long kings, longed to understand these things, but you guys, you get to know it. It's a statement of privilege. Do you understand what it means to be able to perceive these things? To be able to see the beauty in Christ and his saving work. It should draw all of his followers to just get hungry. To know as much as we possibly can about the way in which God works and what he wants to do and what he's done through Christ. To take that message out into the world. God gave a promise at the end of his instruction to Isaiah about what to say. That, that any good Jew hearing Jesus quote these uh, short verses from Isaiah, would, they would understand the context, something that they'd look forward to. Because in that, that prophecy that God told Isaiah to speak about, said, I want you to go and I want you to tell the people that they're never going to understand because of their hard hearts. That I'm going to literally wipe them off the face of the earth. And he says, but I will leave a small remnant. And out of that remnant, a stump is going to grow. And it's really out of that stump that's going to give life to all of mankind. That stump was Jesus. The disciples were blessed to witness the prophecy of old coming true. You're getting to see what kings and prophets of old long to see. That stump spring out of the ground. You see it. You appreciate it. Hold fast to it. What we can't forget, too, for us as we read it today, is the context in which this question gets asked. Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and the disciples are like, why are you, they don't ask, what does it mean? They say, why are you, why are you, why are you talking so weird? Like, why don't, why don't you just come out and say it? Jesus explains, because some I'm keeping keeping it hidden from, but to you, uh, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And the first parable that he told is the parable of the sower that says, wherever you go, I want you to scatter seed. Wherever you go, I want you to take the gospel out, the saving message about who I am as Savior and Lord and King, and I want you to tell everybody, yes, some of that seed is going to fall on some hard hearts. You as my disciples, don't worry about it. Your job is not to go looking for soft hearts, hard hearts, mushy hearts, whatever. Your job is to take the truth of the gospel and you just go and scatter it everywhere that you go. You leave everything else up to me. It's up to the Father to decide whose hearts are going to be changed. You just keep on scattering. At the end of, uh, of chapter 13, as Jesus wraps up all of these parables on the kingdom of heaven, he a- he'll actually ask the disciples, do you understand what I've said to you? And their response is, yes, we do. Right? We, we acknowledge it. Jesus' response to them is, is in another parable. He says, you are like the master of a house who's taken a treasure and you've opened it up and you've gone through it and you've discovered Old things and new. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Abstract concepts are not simple to understand. That's why we often teach our kids in story form. Because we can tell kids to be good, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be good? So what we have to do is we've got to tell them a story about somebody who is good. John chapter 1 says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Sometimes we look through Scripture and we try to figure out, "I, I I don't fully understand this or how I'm supposed to live. And thankfully, God sends His Son Jesus who lived a life that we can study and we can emulate and we can follow closely behind and say, I want to be like him. Jesus is the greatest story that's ever been told, that's ever been given to us. It's our job to take that story out to the world and to share it with others. If we know it, if we understand it, consider ourselves incredibly blessed. And our response to God is, thank you, I'm going to go tell the world And if you've never reached that point, we are like, I don't fully grasp it. I don't understand it. Let me just say to you today, here's the step. Don't reject it. Look into it. Discover for yourself who Jesus is and who he can be in your life. If you would just say, Jesus, I'll let you be Lord over my life. Believers, go and scatter seed. Take the treasure out that we found. If you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus right now, understand that there is a treasure that is there that will save your life for all of eternity. And it will grow and grow and grow. It's called this process of sanctification. It will grow the more you desire to be like Christ, the more you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life and of just a full surrender to Him, uh, your life will be the greatest story that anyone could ever hear. What's the story? that you want to be told about your life. I hope it starts with, with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for your word. We thank you that we, we can open up your word, that we can understand it. For as you have shared with us today, in, the, in understanding there is an affirmation that we know you. We have a desire to grow into you. That your Holy Spirit is at work within us teaching us what it is that you want us to know about yourself so that we can grow to be more like you until the day that you return. Keep us on that track, God. Keep us focused, not on ourselves, not on the things of this world, but on what you desire of us. You've given us the keys to the kingdom. Father, may we never lose them, misplace them. May we, may we use them wisely because you've blessed us and we're grateful. Amen.